Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, Jalen, it's good to be recording again with you for our podcast. This is kind of an interesting week because normally we record about a month in advance, but today we have a special episode that we are recording right now. It's Monday night and we're going to release this the next day. And so this feels like the quickest turnaround we've ever had, but I'm excited because I think we have a very special topic that we're going to get to and a special guest joining us. But before we get there, I was just wondering, how's your week been? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's always good to talk with you, John. You know, this week, it's been really interesting. Actually, today is really interesting. It's the last few days of October here in Chicago in the Midwest. And we got our first snow today, our first snow of the season. Nice. And in Chicago, of course, that can happen. And next week, it'll be like 75 degrees. So uh, who knows what'll happen? Snow today and maybe, you know, a beach day tomorrow. It's about 70 degrees here in San Jose. And I feel like people are preparing for a long winter already. (laughs) <laughs> so people with like winter jackets and, and mittens on already yep. in California. Yep. Yeah. Hoodies, yeah. the like. <laughs> well, yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously, since it's still October, one thing that we do want to do is give a shout out to all the pastors who listen and those who are serving in ministries. Uh, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And we definitely want to just give an appreciation to all the pastors out there. We know that it's a lot of work. John, you and I, uh, we, we're in the trenches Uh, We're in the trenches with you guys, and we appreciate what you do. We know there's long hours. uh, There's a lot of thankless work that you do, and we know that there are people who are hard to love, but you keep loving anyways, and so we're grateful for that. We thank you for uh, just the times that you fight for what is right, and you, you put in the work to preach, and you disciple people and lead people to know Jesus better, and it's not always easy but we appreciate what you're doing. So, and John, I appreciate what you're doing. I know that you've had to adjust being in a new church in a, in a different part of the country, uh, a new role. And so thank you for what you're doing too, John. Thanks, Jalen. I really appreciate that. You know, I appreciate not just your friendship, but I think partnership in the gospel. And it's gone back many, many years. So it's been great for me to see how God has led you and used you in various contexts, um, really for the kingdom. I would just add to what you said to our pastor listeners yeah, we, we love your hearts. We know how hard it is when you care for people that sometimes they drive you crazy or they break your heart or they maybe are not the gentlest or easiest people to care for. But we, we just want to say to press on and keep doing what you're doing. Nobody else may see what you do, but the Lord sees it. And so we're thankful for you. You know, for me, this week has also been pretty interesting. I voted in California for the very first time uh, up until now. I've been a registered voter in Illinois, but now I'm registered in California. It feels like in California, there's a lot more like propositions or measures that you have to vote on. And so I took the time to sit down and kind of look through each one and really think what, you know, what does it look like if I vote one way versus the other, if I vote yes or vote no? Um, and actually enjoyed that process. I feel like I put more thought into it this year than I have in previous years. Maybe it just felt like I had more direct say into to what was going on. Uh, so that was really interesting, something I enjoyed doing. And that's actually a good segue to our guest for today. It's the very first time that we have a celebrated author on our podcast. And so I want to introduce our uh, our guest, his name is Ben Lowe. Ben is an ordained pastor in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. He, fun fact, ran for Congress in Illinois 6th District. And then he also is the author of 
Um, three books, Green Revolution, Doing Good Without Giving Up, and The Future of Our Faith. And all those are excellent books that I've read and are sitting on my shelf in my office. But I think most importantly, or probably the, my favorite fun fact about Ben is that he actually volunteered in my youth group for several years. And that's the thing that I probably love the most about Ben is just his servant heart and his love for the Chinese church and for um, young people to help them follow Jesus. So Ben, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad that you're with us tonight. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jalen. Yeah, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We're uh, just really excited to have you on. Could you just, as we start, give just a, a brief overview of your ministry journey, your calling into ministry, and what you're doing with that now? Yeah, sure. So I'm from Singapore. My uh, mom's from Malaysia. My family moved to this country when I was 16. My dad became a pastor of a Chinese church outside of Boston. So I uh, grew up in the church my whole life. And then uh, since I've been in the United States, I've been part of the Chinese church community. And I was baptized when I was 16. I was on fire for Christ and I wanted my life to count for Christ in the greatest way possible. But I was trying to figure out what that meant. And I thought, okay, the traditional models, pastor, missionary, things like that, things I was familiar with. But I've always loved people and I've always loved nature. And I've never figured out how those things go together. So I went to Wheaton College as an undergrad, and there through my classes, through professors, through my church, which is the church that the youth group was part of that John and I served together. And that time really helped me connect my love for God, my love for God's people with my love for God's creation, and to see that this is a really great way to be on mission with God in the world today. And so that's what I started doing, working for environmental ministries, Christian environmental organizations, addressing different social and environmental concerns around the country. And that's what the Alliance has supported me in, in doing through the ordination. And now I'm at the University of Florida trying to finish up a doctorate because there's a lot wrong in the world. And there's just so much to learn in, in terms of understanding how things work, what we're doing, and how to do things better. So, you know, you've written several books. And the first one that you wrote is Green Revolution, which is primarily about caring for creation. So how did you end up deciding to write a book as your way of blessing the church with this truth about what it means to be a steward of what God has given us? I don't see myself as a writer. I see myself as more of a hands-on person, uh, more of an organizer. I'm more, I like to be on the ground. I like to be doing things and tackling challenges. And so the writing comes later as, an, as a way to process what we're doing, what we're learning, and to get the word out about it and to invite other people to join in. So in that sense, I don't think I'm quite a writer. I have done a lot of writing. Uh, but Green Revolution kind of, it wasn't an expected opportunity. It kind of just fell into my lap. We were doing a bunch of things to promote caring for creation at colleges and universities across the country. And I met up with some editors along the way, and they were interested in the work we're doing. And they asked if I wanted to write about it. And I naively said, oh, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And then realized that writing a book is way harder <laughs> than writing a term paper. <laughs> so I struggled with that for a couple of years, uh, but got it done. Thanks be to God. And Green Revolution was really about trying to to reframe environmental issues, not just as problems for individuals to engage around, but things that really we need to come together as communities to tackle because they're so much bigger than any one of us. And so often we hear about how the world is dying and then we're invited to recycle or change our light bulbs. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're like, no, that's, that can't be it. Like there's, there's so much more that needs to happen. And so Green Revolution is really the story of what Christians around the country are doing to come together to care for God's creation. 
Yeah, I appreciate that you're really all about trying to, to be in the work of it and, and tackling the problem, as you said, being on the ground. How have you seen churches and particularly Chinese churches participate in the work of caring for creation? And then why does it matter? Yeah, in many ways. And as the years go on, I've been doing <laughs> I've been doing this now for, well, over a decade. We're just over a decade. It's shocking to look back and realize how quickly time passes here. But it's encouraging because I look back and I realize when I started, it was still for many churches that I was working in, it was still a pretty new idea. So it had been a blind spot within our context for some time. Uh, certainly historically, the church has done a lot to contribute to science and environmental care over the generations. But more recently in our context, it's been a blind spot. And so it was a little more isolating and lonely. But as I as the years have gone on, I think partly because of what we're seeing happening around the world, it's getting harder and harder to ignore these issues. They're becoming clearer and clearer for a lot of folks. And the impacts in our communities are becoming clearer. So we're just seeing uh, the problem a lot more than we used to. And so more and more Christians are, are engaging, and that includes churches uh, across the board. It includes Chinese churches in the United States. And I've had a chance to work with a few churches, including mine outside of Chicago, the Wheaton Chinese Lions Church. And I've done some stuff with Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston. I'm going to be going to uh, Boston Chinese Evangelical Church. I was supposed to go there before the pandemic hit, but we postponed that for a year. And I'm really excited. It sounds like they have a lot of really good things going on there. And I'm excited to go meet them and learn more about what they're doing. But it can, it can encompass everything. So, so let me try to focus in more on your question. So it looks like preaching. It looks like teaching Sunday school classes or VBS theme things. I work with an organization called Arasha that puts out a creation care VBS curricula that a lot of churches are using. It integrates into our prayer our congregational prayer life and our individual prayer life and our worship, choosing the songs that we sing and the themes that we affirm through that. Uh, but it also looks like lifestyle changes at the individual level and in our households or in our homes, but then also at church uh, and in our communities at more of the collective level. And, and some of these things take time and we take baby steps. Like I, I know it took quite a while before we got recycling going at Wheaton Chinese Alliance, but we, we got it going. And it wasn't even me too. It was other people who did it. It was, it was really cool. But lots of um, energy efficiency things that are easy to do at the beginning because they save money as well as being good for the environment. And then, and then we think of ways to serve in the community. So that's partnering with groups in the community that are addressing environmental problems uh, in the places around us and supporting creation care organizations like the ones I work with, Arasha or Young Evangelicals for Climate Action has been receiving more and more support from churches. So, and we could go on and on, you know, talking about the different ways that this intersects with our church life together. One of my mentors describes it as three interconnected duties. So the first is informed study. So we're called to understand God's world more. And the second is deliberate contact, which is that we're called to be an intentional relationship with the rest of God's world, human and non-human. So for instance, our youth group, uh, John would every year take us on a camping trip. And that was a chance for the youth to um, get out in nature a little bit more and sometimes slip and fall and get hurt and one of John's favorite youth ministry duties is emergency room visits. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then the third, um, the third duty is sacrificial concern. So if we, if we learn more about God's creation, we're in relationship with God's creation, then what are we doing to care for God's creation? I really love that, that third one of sacrificial concern. And I think that, you know, it really requires something of us. I, from my observation, one of the reasons that it, it was hard for maybe for our church at one point to, to do the work of really caring for the environment as an extension of our care for our community and, and even people across the world. I think one of the, the, 
one of the speed bumps or hills we had to cross was the reality that sometimes that is more expensive or more difficult to do than if we just threw everything out or if we just didn't bother with high efficiency appliances or light bulbs or whatever, or whatever the, the specific action is, oftentimes there was a personal cost to it, right? And maybe this is stereotyping, but Chinese churches tend to be a little bit more frugal. And I think it's tied to our desire to survive, right? When there were lean years or lean times, and that has translated itself into the church. So we would go for maybe the, the cheapest option, but that might not be the most environmentally friendly option. And so how did you really teach churches or teach our church to kind of see beyond whatever's the most cost-saving choice? Well, I don't know how successful I was at teaching our church that. I just, I'm really grateful for the amount of support I received from our church. Our church was really crucial in my life to care for me, to support and encourage me, to pray for me uh, as I was doing this work in churches all around the country. And so sometimes I feel like our church got what was left over when I came back all tired and weary from my from my work. So I'm not, I'm not sure how much I actually contributed, but other people did at our church, and I'm grateful for that. And I think part of the challenge here is the, um, some of the excuses that are given for why we don't do certain things to care for creation because it's more expensive or uh, whatever it is. And, and I've heard people say, yeah, well, our priority is to give to missions and to give to different ministries that the church is involved in. And so if we save money, we don't want to spend it on solar panels. We want to spend it on supporting more missionaries. And I think that's a very really well-intentioned uh, thing as a, as a someone who grew up working in a context with lots of missionaries, like <laughs> I can understand and relate to that a lot. But at the same time, I think the, the important thing here is to realize that caring for creation is part of being on mission with God in the world. It's not other, it's not something extra that we pack on. And it's not just, we don't do it because it's, it's popular or it's convenient. And Jalen, you asked this question, I didn't answer it. You said, why does it matter? I think it matters because this is God's world and we are God's people. So caring for God's creation is just an integral part of being on mission with God. It's a fundamental aspect of biblical discipleship, Christian witness. So much can be said to unpack this more. And, and there are tons of books out there besides mine that, that do it really well. But often when I come down to it at the end of the day, if someone asks me, okay, I want an elevator pitch. Why does this matter? To me, it's that when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, Matthew 22, Mark 12, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hinge on these two things. And that's the thing. I can't love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength if I don't care for the world that he made, that he loves, and that is part of his redemptive purpose, as we read in scripture. And the second is like the first. I can't love my neighbor as myself if I don't address our relationship to creation, which is part of our relationship to each other. And so many environmental problems are people problems. And when the environment is not healthy, people aren't healthy. So it's really fundamental to who we are as God's people. I think that's so important. I think that is, in a, in a lot of ways for churches, that is that is a shift in the way that we that we think about caring for creation. I, I'm actually curious, like what are some other maybe obstacles or maybe some pushback that you've received as you've been doing this work, as you've been engaging churches? Have there been people who've kind of pushed back on you? Yeah, uh, I've gotten my fair share of pushback. And I'm a conflict averse person, so I don't enjoy it. But then I remember what Jesus said, which is to expect it. And that if you do it for the right reasons, if you do it because you're serving Christ, then you're blessed for it. And so I've tried to be better about embracing <laughs> that aspect of it. But I think, you know, I've gotten a lot of pushback. Honestly, one of the um, issues that I get pushback on sometimes is suspicion around science that connects to evolutionary theory. And it's like, well, what are you talking about here? And, and that's a whole different thing. 
that I don't think necessarily we want to get to now probably, but I think that's sometimes a, a distraction. And so I, when I get uh, engaged around those concerns, I try to say, well, I'm not talking about that right now. Like we can talk about that, but what we're talking about right now is not how God made the world, but let's say God made the world, how are we supposed to take care of it? You know, and, and I think I've, I share often that I get approached not too infrequently by people from outside the church who say, you Christians, and I'm always like, oh, great, you Christians will fight so hard to be able to teach how your God made the world. They're talking about the whole creation evolution controversy in the public schools and stuff. They say, but then you treat it like it doesn't matter. If you really believed your God made the world, wouldn't you treat it a whole lot differently? And so that's how I really try to reframe that. But then, of course, another big uh, challenge that comes up is the political one. Is that these issues in the United States, especially, unlike anywhere else in the world, or at least to the level that's unlike anywhere else in the world, this issue has been within the last few decades polarized into politically right versus left issue. And so if you're on the political left, then you get to champion this issue, no questions asked, if, and you're expected to. If you're on the political right, then it's really hard to engage this issue, which is tragic for so many reasons and completely unnecessary. I mean, it's just a, it, it's a toxic polarization. And so that's probably the question I get the most is people ask me what I think about Al Gore. And I, I've never met him. I have nothing to say about the former vice president. And once again, not what we're talking about. And so what I try to do is I just try to talk more from scripture and, and you know, talk about what God calls us to as God's people. What's God doing in the world? How do we come alongside and get to join in that uh, and then invite people to do that? But yeah, there are lots of other reasons too, but those are some of the big ones. You know, as we are recording this, the election is just a week away from right now. And, you know, in this season, that polarization has never been more clear, I feel like, at least in my lifetime. But even as we know that we're supposed to walk faithfully and be a faithful witness, part of that is engaging in politics, right? It, not making politics our idol, but at the very least, understanding our world and how it works and how uh, whether we vote or not vote or who we vote for, who we don't vote for, how all of that really affects the world that we live in. And so we have to faithfully engage in that. And so you picked a very specific way to engage in politics several years ago. And I know that that's had a huge impact on you. It informed one of the books that you wrote. Um, and even now you, you know, continue to think, how does my life really, how do, how do I engage faithfully? So can you tell us a little bit more about what went into the decision to run for office? Yeah, so it was 2010, actually the year that I, I ran. Uh, and I didn't, once again, one of those things I didn't expect to do. Former president of Wheaton College had this saying he liked to go back to, and I keep thinking about it uh, when I look back over my life. He says, you have a plan, God has a plan, yours doesn't matter. And, and I never imagined that my life would take the path it did. And this is one of the big steps that I was like, I never could have dreamed about that. I never took a political science class, but I was more and more involved in my community and in the issues that my community was struggling with and more and more frustrated that our re representative at the federal level was not engaging. And, you know, we did a lot of things before. It's not like I was like, okay, they wouldn't return our messages. We're going to run against them. It wasn't quite like that. As you know, we... um organized different groups of pastors to meet with them. They uh, identified as a Christian too. And so sat down with them and talked to them about different issues that we cared about, like what was going on with the refugee populations in our communities and the plight of immigrants in our neighborhoods and, and environmental care was one of those things. And, um, and at some point though, 
when you run out of, you know, when you face someone who's just not um, engaging with you or not responsive to you, or sometimes, you know, actually opposes you and, and works against what you think are the interests of the community in a representative democracy, one of the ways that you can choose to move that forward is by challenging them at the ballot and giving uh, the community a chance to choose. So that's what I did. I was young, I didn't have much to lose, and I was really frustrated. <laughs> So I did. And I figured, you know what, for me, and actually this turned out to be really helpful because it's one of the big lessons I learned. I went in thinking, I don't have anything to lose. I just care about my community. And if I run for office, I can spend the next year telling everybody why I think this community deserves to be cared for better. And, and maybe actually this will actually get the attention of my representative better than just setting up an office meeting. And so I wasn't worried about winning. In other words, I was just trying to be faithful. I was just trying to take the next step. And as a result of that, I, I wasn't afraid of losing. And that's really important because I think so many people get into politics as their career and it, it becomes what they know. And it it's kind of it's either this or who knows what if it's not this anymore and so then you see folks who are really afraid of losing and aren't able to show the courage to actually lead well i really appreciate ben just the example you set in in running that race that political race because i feel like you did it faithfully you represented jesus well in that even when there was temptation i think not to I remember specifically, I hope you don't mind me telling this story, that at the time your opponent, whether it was your opponent or maybe some of your opponent's supporters were going around and stealing your very hard, uh, hard earned and few yard signs from people's lawns in, in Wheaton. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, you know, Ben, I can organize a group of youth group kids and we can go <laughs> take out a bunch of his yard signs too. And you just said, no, we're not going to stoop to his level. And so I'm really thankful for the way that you pastored me and encouraged me to do what was right. So thank you just for the example that you set for us in that. I totally forgot about that. I, no, I appreciate, I appreciate the thought though. I appreciate the solidarity. I'm glad we didn't do it. Me too. What I appreciate about that, Ben, is that you decided to do something, right? You know, of course, certainly we have the opportunity to engage our representatives and uh, to voice our opinions, to come together as a community. But for you to take that step to run for office as a way of communicating your beliefs, but also to represent your community is a wonderful thing. I, I can't help but think that that's probably a little countercultural to a lot of Chinese behaviors or attitudes for the most part. I think as Chinese people, we have this idea that we should just kind of keep our head down, that if we don't like something, just kind of, you know, don't, don't rock the boat too much. Don't make too much noise about it. But I appreciate that you actually took a step to do something about it. How have you seen Chinese churches engage in politics for better or worse? Uh, because a lot of times there are people, a lot of Chinese people who will just kind of keep their head down. And even though they might not agree with something, they'll just kind of keep going with it. Or how have you seen Chinese churches engage politics in, in, a good, in good ways and bad ways? Thanks for those kind words. I, it's, it's aspirational. I hope that's what we were faithful in doing. And maybe if I could take a step back and actually, I think there, there are two big lessons that I learned by being involved in politics and that I continue to think hold true the more I've been involved. And this will build into the question you do ask, which I will answer because I am not a politician, so I will answer the question. First is that politics is not about winning. At least as a Christian, I do not believe politics is about winning. Politics is about, it is about being faithful and bearing witness to the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, but not just in who or what we advocate for, which I think 
we spend a lot of time focused on, but also in how we take our stands and how we show up in the public square. The second thing is that politics is not about pursuing power, privilege, security, benefits for ourselves or our families or communities, however narrowly we define that. It is, however, about loving our neighbors. It's about the common good. When we vote, when we advocate, when we organize, when we donate, and a lot of people have the opportunity to do that this week and next week, then we should be doing it as Christians. We should be doing it not with ourselves in mind, but with our neighbors in mind, whether it's our sick neighbors, our marginalized neighbors, our Black, Indigenous, and other neighbors of color, immigrant and refugee neighbors, God's creation, our sisters and brothers around the world, politics. And someone famous said this, and I'm not remembering who it is, and I'm paraphrasing them anyway. But anyway, I, got, I learned this from someone else. I don't want to take credit for this. Politics is a way to show God's love for the people and places where we've been called. So with that in mind, how have I seen churches and maybe Chinese churches engage in politics? It's hard. It's really hard. And it's unfortunately but perhaps unsurprisingly, much easier to find examples of churches who are, that are doing it poorly. So I think we have to have a lot of grace and humility here, while at the same time, not letting ourselves off the hook. We have to remain fully committed to pursuing radical faithfulness to Jesus Christ. That said, my experiences here have been a little rough lately, and, and I think they've kind of fallen into two different broad categories. One is I've seen some churches try hard to avoid it. And you've alluded to that, you know, let's just keep our heads down. And some of that has a lot of history to it. Uh, a lot of the places where, uh, especially for our um, churches with large immigrant populations, people have arrived in the U.S. because they fled politically oppressive situations where they had to keep their heads down or survive or where they didn't and then had to flee. So I understand that. And this is, you know, where it, it gets really challenging. But some churches try to avoid it because it's just too messy or, or we have this bad theology that politics doesn't belong in the church. You know, the church is about spiritual or eternal matters and politics is about earthly and temporal matters. But this is a dualism. It's not biblical. And really avoiding politics is a privilege that we can't claim in a democracy when we have this many lives and livelihoods at stake. So that's, that's one kind of way that I've seen folks try to avoid politics. The other way is actually not to avoid politics, but is to go all in and to apply our faith in a way that I think is very problematic. And this centers around the idea of Christian nationalism, which is a burgeoning body of research that I'm thick in the midst of right now in my doctoral uh, dissertation work. Uh, so I'm going to be a little nerdy about this one. But it's anyways, this historically inaccurate and thoroughly unbiblical idea that America is a Christian nation was founded as a Christian nation and somehow needs to be brought back to these so-called Christian roots. But these Christian roots are very broadly conceptualized and include assumptions of things like white supremacy, patriarchy, militarism, authoritarianism, and this divine sanction of capitalism that we see nowhere in scripture or in the history of the church prior, and so on. And of course, the problem with either of these approaches, the avoid it, don't want to touch it approach, or the go all in and try to make America a Christian nation. And I, you know, my mom's Malaysian. That's a Muslim country. I, I come from a country that tries to model itself uh, after more of a theocracy. But the problem with these things is these days I talk with more and more people, especially people in our generation who've been trampled by Christians and churches in this push for power and privilege. And many of these folks grew up in evangelical spaces and they feel deeply betrayed and alienated by the political idolatry and the hypocrisy that they see all around them. And so they're left wandering and deconstructing and they're trying to figure out 
what to think, who to trust, where to belong. And it's, it's heartbreaking. I think for any pastor, it's heartbreaking when you see people who are wandering like this in pain, trying to find answers. And I think especially these past four to five years, so many of our church spaces have been exposed as far more culturally formed than biblically formed. And this profanes the name and the gospel of Christ. It's a failure of biblical discipleship and it's chasing away, as I was saying, it's chasing away many of the people who need to find healing and hope in God and in the church. Okay, so that was a lot of negative stuff. I'm sorry, that's just where I'm at right now. It's, it's a little tough these days, but there are places I found sustenance and encouragement. And so some of these things include Christians for Social Action, which is an organization I'm heavily involved with. I found a lot of sustenance in some of the things Christianity Today has been publishing. Uh, I've been impressed by their willingness to engage in some really tough topics from some really courageous perspectives. I think uh, the National Association of Evangelicals under the new president, Walter Kim, has been doing a lot of really good work. Uh, and they have over the years prior too. But then there's also a group that uh, um, I've been a little bit involved in that I'm really excited about that's newer is the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Uh, and that's a, a group that kind of came out of of the Wheaton, Chicago area, but is national and uh, mobilized around race and standing with our Black brothers and sisters, but has become broader than that. And that's a space that I've been really encouraged by. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something so important for the church to hear, not just the Chinese church, but I think the, the big C church, the kingdom, we definitely have to live out the call to be kingdom minded, right? We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I think somewhere along the way, we forget, or we, we think that the best way to do that is by accomplishing the quote unquote kingdom, the way the world would pursue it rather than the way of Jesus, right? We, we become Old Testament Israel that says, give us a king like all the other nations around us. And you end up with a King Saul when Jesus comes and he says, I am the king, but I'm going to be a king in a different way than you've ever seen before. I'm inaugurating the kingdom of God. And that's going to be countercultural, not doing things the way that the culture has done it. So that's such a, that's such a valuable message to the church. And I really hope that our listeners hear that and that they share it with their people, share it with the people that they're caring for. I think because of the context that we're in, oftentimes there's this you've probably experienced it, that first generation Chinese churches or, or members like first generation members of the Chinese church often see the world very differently because of their own experiences as immigrants versus um, second generation Chinese Americans in the church. Um, and so how have, has there been any ways that you've seen conversations happen at that intergenerational level? Or maybe even if you haven't seen those conversations, are there ways, are there questions that have been valuable or you think would be valuable for the church to ask intergenerationally when it comes to the issue of politics and faithful engagement. Yeah, thanks for that. And actually, that's um, for more of this, you can look at the third book, <laughs> The Future of Our Faith, which is an intergenerational conversation that I got to have with uh, an elder statesman in the American Evangelical Church named Ron Sider, and we looked at different issues that we feel uh, we think the church is grappling with, and we had a dialogue between us in terms of our different perspectives. And actually what we found, and maybe we won't always find this, that's okay, but what we found in this case is we've got a lot of common ground. Our lived experiences might be different, and that certainly informs how we understand things and how we perceive things. But at the same time, at the end of the day, when we're centered on Christ, we have so much common ground. And it was almost like I felt bad. I felt like we should be manufacturing more disagreement in the book than we actually ended up with. But anyway, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, we're, you know, we're such finite and fallible creatures. So we need each other in order to be a flourishing body. And we need to listen. We need to learn from people with different perspectives, different lived experiences, because these things help us interrogate our own worldviews and our own identity and identify our own blind spots, which is someone who grew up outside the country and then moved to the country in very, from very different cultural contexts. Uh, that's something that I really value about the life that I have had is the ability to spend time in, in very different cultural contexts, which allows me to critique myself and my thinking a little bit more easily. Uh, for those of us who haven't had that opportunity, then we can do that through relationships. And so I think really the, the first step is to cultivate relationships, is to be intentional and to show and to show sincere love and, and humble care for one another. And I really appreciate it back at our church up in the Wheaton area, our former church there. I thought there was a there were a lot of efforts to do that. There were always folks from older generations and working with the youth ministry, I worked with the kids and some of their parents uh, looked out for me in, in really caring and thoughtful and generous ways. And um, I was always really impressed by that. And it was always very moving to me. And by doing these things, by just building relationships and showing sincere and humble care for one another, we're building trust. And trust is the currency that then enables us to actually open up to each other and to be willing to share vulnerably, but also then be able to truly listen and seek understanding and seek to grow. So I think, you know, but this is a, it's a journey. We have to be patient. We have to be gracious. We have to have good expectations. And, and at times we have to have healthy boundaries. And in all these things, I think the word, and in my experience in the Chinese church, the word unity gets thrown around a lot. Uh, I think it's a really important biblical concept, but it also can be misused very easily. And even un unintentionally, it becomes this blunt instrument to keep people in line and to keep people compliant by crying for, we need to be in unity with one another. But, but unity in and of itself is not the goal. It's only through centering and pursuing Christ and not our, ourselves or not our own cultures or traditions or our own politics or whatever it is, it's only by centering Christ that we can truly work toward Christian unity. So unity is not for the purpose of stifling the Holy Spirit or stifling growth or change, but it's for the purpose of empowering us to actually be more fully and more faithfully on mission as God's people seeking God's kingdom. Yeah, thanks for that word. I think that's something that I, as, as those of us who are in Chinese churches, those are ongoing conversations. And as you said, trust is something that we need to continue to build that's going to take time and have those conversations where we are listening to one another is so important and so valuable. We've covered a lot of ground. I, I thank you so much for your ability to kind of shift gears as we kind of jump into different things, all, all, all very related. But I, I would ask one final question for us. What is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's serving in the Chinese church? One of the things that I would say to somebody in that context, and this comes up from my, this comes from my experience in that context, is, is it would be an encouragement not to be afraid not to fear, but to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. I think so many of our spaces are, are driven by fear sometimes. Fear of, of hard things, fear of dark things, fear of losing our heritage, fear of things that are different than us, fear of the outside, fear of unknown, fear of, you know, what, whatever it is, uh, fear of losing our privilege. There's so much fear pervading the church in general. And I think this is this is true for a lot of our Chinese churches too. And and that's, as um, I heard Oz Guinness say once, you know, the most rep often repeated commandment in the Bible is do not fear. 
So I think that's something as we approach this election, uh, but as we approach the ongoing season well past that too, it's we have an opportunity to encourage people not to be afraid and not to live out of fear, but to invite the Holy Spirit to move in us, to deepen our faith and trust in God and to celebrate and to live in the hope that we have through Christ. And, and that allows us to live our lives out of love for all the people and places around us. Well, Ben, thank you so much for that word and that encouragement. Uh, we just really hope that as people listen to this episode, that they would be encouraged to continue faithfully engaging with the world around them and to do that, like you said, without fear of anything, um, but with faith because of Jesus. So yeah, we just wanted to say thank you for coming on the podcast with us. I wanted to give one final plug to our listeners um, about your books, because I know that you won't do that yourself. So <laughs> listeners, check out the books, Green Revolution, Doing Good Without Giving Up, and The Future of Our Faith, which are all written by Ben, quality books about uh, the heart of Jesus for our world. And so yeah, again, Ben, thanks for your friendship and for your time and coming on with us. Absolutely. It's a joy to be with you and to see you both. Thanks, Ben. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.